Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the Financial Advisor podcast. It's uh, My name is John Somerville, Head of Financial Services at the LIBF, and I'm welcoming today uh, two regulars. Uh, we'll, uh, starting with Martin Clark at uh, Landmark IFA. How are you doing, Martin? How's things in your world, in your shed, I should say? Do you know, I knew you was going to bring the shed up. I've got yeah. to bring the shed. How can I ignore the shed? You're in, you're in your man cave there, aren't you, really? So you can see how, how well it's been decorated, though, John. So No, it's uh, absolutely great. And it's, it's just been the worst weather for it in my shed. It's been, you know, we've had the hottest week that we've had for years, haven't we? Yeah. And, and what do I do? I sort of, uh, you know, I, I really put myself in a blooming shed. <laughs> so, so, but no, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Thanks. They're all good. Oh, good to have you, Martin. And and uh, I, I, as always, the stalwart of the Financial Advisor podcast, David Owen. How are you doing, David? How's things in your world? Apart from uh, scaffolding going up, I believe, in the background. Yes. Yeah. Lots of scaffolding. It's like working at the BBC Radio 4. You know, it always seems like they're permanently drilling in the background there. Probably, you know, torturing staff to get the wage rises down. But anyway, but looking at Martin's shed. I was thinking about a Martin and um, Friday night dinner, of course, that great man who recently and very sadly passed away. But if you yes. remember Martin's shed on Friday night dinner, his listeners, is very different to Martin's shed because th this honestly is an ethereal palace. It's beautiful. It, it, it's clad everywhere. You've got a lovely clad ceiling there as well. It looks amazing, Martin. I mean, really, really does. So, I mean... You know, so plenty of room to work in. Did you, would you recommend working in your garden shed? Do you know, joking aside, I've wanted to do it for years. And uh, obviously the, the, the situation's been forced because my wife now works from home and she's kicked me out of my office. <laughs> so, so I kind of said, I've always wanted to work in the garden when really I was thinking, I can't believe she's kicking me out of my office. I've just finished. You know? <laughs> but, but as she's actually working for two of my team, I, I, I thought I'd just go with it. <laughs> so, but, but no, you're quite right. And this has all been uh, cladded out and, and sort of insulated by my own fair hands. So, uh, you know, in winter, it should be quite cosy. I'm just not looking for, well, I'd say I'm not looking forward to the journey from the house to the shed in the winter, but it's only about 10 steps. Don't be fooled. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like David. I haven't got acres. <laughs> No, that's true. He hasn't got it. He hasn't. Well, I mean, you know what Dave's like. I mean, he has to look out the window to see all the people driving. You can you can see visitors from about half a mile away coming down the drive, can't you, Dave? Is that that that's pretty much how your house is? Well, recently we couldn't see visitors driving down the drive to realise my car wasn't locked to steal the contents of it. But yeah, that's another story. Oh no! Oh, disaster! Yeah. Disastrous truck. Yeah, don't don't keep don't keep stuff in your car, people. Not Especially when you've got a locking, a locking, a locking glove box with a pin code, and you forget to use it. <laughs> Good grief! I thought it was impossible to steal things from a Tesla, but I guess if you don't lock it, it's not, is it? I know, uh, I know. Like, like a lot of things. But, yeah, you just forgot the neon sign. Does 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 Elon Musk supply an Elon sign saying a neon sign saying this 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 car is unlocked? Probably. <laughs> it's probably there's an app there's probably an app you can get probably an app there's all it, the yeah. unlocked teslas in the world yeah <laughs> <laughs> what a disaster oh no dave that's really really sad news sorry about it. sorry to hear about that hopefully not too much taken that's life yes and and as far as so now your commute has actually extended really martin from lockdown you've actually got to go further <laughs> to get to your shed than you you've had to in the last 18 months do you know, when you said that, I was just about to say, yeah, I've actually got to put clothes on now, but that's probably not a good thing to say, is it? 
And you know, you can claim 30 pence a mile for cycling to work or cycling during work on a bike. So <laughs> how, how many trips backwards and forwards to the house in the shed on a bike would you have to do to claim 30 pence? Well, I'll tell you what, I could probably do that in a day because I'm of that age where you need to go to the toilet slightly more often when you get older, don't you? So I have to keep going into the house to go to the toilet now. And uh, I've now got to lay a path through my lawn because I'm backwards and forwards so many times that uh, I've trod a muddy path through my lawn. Oh, <laughs> no, what a disaster. I mean, you've not thought about putting a portaloo outside, maybe, you know, save you the trip? I can't believe you're even going down those lengths. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what I will say at this point is that the conversations you've noticed deteriorated because the female part of this contingent is not with us. Um, so uh, uh, Nicola Barker, the, 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 the voice of sense and sensibility is unfortunately uh, otherwise detained in meetings and she won't be able to attend today. So we are now talking about man sheds, man caves and other such nonsense. But actually, we're going to get down to some, well, serious business really there's a couple of things we want to sort of talk about today one of which is um esg but not in the sense that you've probably been talking about it all as a as an advisor community um recently but looking at mortgages and how the mortgage community is being affected by esg and how that onward effect is going to affect pretty much everything that most people are doing in financial services we've got a few things we want to sort of we'll debate and chat about very shortly and then further to that we're going to look at um go back to the old favorite of protection um uh, we've got some nuggets of information uh, and martin's done some sterling research for us in the last few days but um it's come to the come to the point that pet insurance against what we're doing to cover ourselves the explosion in pet ownership in the uk what that's meant for the insurance market etc lots and lots of stuff to talk about when we get to that but first and foremost Dave um you were talking we were talking just before we started recording really about ESG the mortgage market and what a uh, well a, a muddy mess almost as muddy as Martin's pathway to his shed um is, is uh, it, that is starting to look like what, what were your thoughts on on ESG when before we uh, started yeah, I think what well, yeah we've been very focused, of course, as, as we all know, on what's the ESG rating of a fund and making sense of that. And people have been talking about confusion. Well, of course, funds invest in companies, mm. and what what you know, and banks are, of course, you know, companies, and they lend out money. So the same people, the same funds investing in the banks and the lenders, are asking, starting to ask the questions. And if you if we remember. Um, Going back to our qualifications of LIBF and elsewhere, uh, we would have covered, um, is it Eugene Farmer's efficient market hypothesis, which is that all the information is known. Um, so, you know, so for example, if you look at the S&P 500 in any one minute of the day, it's estimated, this is a good made up number, Martin, and, and estimated that 300, 300 uh, analysts at any one time, the theory is, is looking at any one company in the S&P 500. And with that, the market has to be efficient. All the information's known. Nobody doesn't know anything that anybody else doesn't know. So therefore, you can't beat the market because it's all known there. Then you chuck ESG into the mix and you go, how can you work out, really, uh, the true ESG rating of a company, of one particular stock? It's very difficult. And people will have read stuff at the weekend about one of the big asset managers who was seen to be you know, the biggest in this area. Um, and they've been caught with the pants down because their due diligence hasn't been good enough. So if you get to banks, 
a bank's got to obviously get its ESG ratings right. So therefore, when it lends out money, if it lends out money and it's reporting to its shareholders, it's, it's lending out money to houses that aren't, um, let's say, climate change friendly or to developers that, isn't, that aren't climate change friendly, that is going to negatively going forward affect their share price. And I was also uh, hearing MSCI do a great podcast all about sustainability and climate change and ESG more broadly. And what they were saying is hedge fund managers have now seen this now as an opportunity to short stock where they can see that um, share prices of firms are far higher than they should be if people really knew the stuff they were investing into. So that I think that's going to, you know, th this, this simple three letters we all talked about right at the start of this. And remember we had Lee Coates on talking about the great stuff he does and he's still a great champion for it, I know. But now this is becoming not just champions like Lee, this is becoming a global thing. I think it's going to have a massive impact on all parts of uh, financial services. I think you're right. And, and, and the more I see, the more I hear, the more I speak to people about this at the moment, uh, you know, it, it is affecting uh, more and more stuff and actually becomes more confusing. Um, you know, I, I, I dare say, you know, a lot of people are waiting and hoping for a, a much easier technology solution going forward. And I think that would obviously help whatever that is. And don't get me wrong, I don't know of anything that's, you know, that, that really plainly sort of um, easily um, tiptoes its way through this particular issue. But um, certainly with mortgages, I mean, there's certainly two aspects of it, you know, what, what they're lending on and knowing that it is ESG friendly. And obviously, you know, Martin and his shed, so well insulated that would pass any any sort of ESG um, uh, uh, assessment on it. What's a, you know no problem at all. But it's also where is the money sourced from, and how do you know that the mortgage that you are or the money that you're borrowing is also sustainable? You know, and that, that it's such a massive question. So I mean, it has to be asked both both sides of it. And then finally, for me, I think you know. Um, the number of mortgage deals that are out there and the number and the amounts of money that is lent in the mortgage mortgage mortgages in the UK is just, as we know, astronomical. And the figures, you know, are going up and up and up. You know, this year is going to be, again, another record year when it comes to lending. Um, but how do you then prove that your mortgage is sustainable, you know, as in the funds are sourced sustainably? Martin, you got any thoughts on this particular area? Yeah, well, you know, not necessarily this particular area, but I think that there's not a single area of business that this isn't going to touch in some way, shape or form. And I remember I, I was doing some work with a promotional goods company and it was uh, it was 2010 and we all, we all went to this exhibition and uh, there was one young lady stood up and she did a presentation on her company and it was about green things. Right? And, uh, you know, I remember sitting around this table at the time with, with a sort of what I would have considered what, 11 years ago, which were kind of, you know, I was sitting around this, this table with was a group of old farts, if you like, that were sort of 15, 20 years older than me at the time. And I, I remember the conversation around the table as, what on earth is this young lady talking about? This is never going to gain any, you know, any gravitation on this at all. And uh, her sort of, uh, her gift to everyone at the end was uh, one of these, you know, very nice drinks cups that keeps your drink warm. And it had a company brand on it, which was sort of an eco-friendly type green thing. And, and, and it was saying, you know, keep the same drink warm and whatever. And this was her point she was trying to make. And everyone, and this is only 11 years ago. Mm. And a lot of people then thought it was nonsense, you mm. know. And, and all of a sudden, it, 
is picking up and picking up. And I just think we're, we're kind of getting to a point when, you know, we're talking about lenders, we're talking about investment funds that are badging themselves as ESG offerings, if you like. I mean, I, I've come across the phrase a lot and I like the phrase greenwashing uh, quite a lot where, you know, there are now certain bits of kit where, you know, you can put your funds into it and it will tell you how green or how ESG those funds are. And, and you're looking at it, there's just a lot of money to be made by a lot of companies doing this sort of thing, mm. but not necessarily getting to the heart of the matter of what it's all about. And, uh, you know, as you said, I, I think it, I was reading a report just now, funny enough, and this report starts off with this fella saying, um, what was it? He was reporting from his shed in the bottom of his car. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it's just, yeah, speaking from a wooden cabin in northern Finland, this chap was. Where, where he so and he, he did a sort of a, a bigger a, a big sort of um, thing on how funds are now the same funds are now rebranding as ESG funds, but no changes have been made at all, and and they're, they're just basically trying to pick things out of the companies that they invest in, which make them ESG, and it's uh is as I said it's frightening. I think there's still so much more to, to dig down into with this. And as, as Dave said earlier, there'll be more than one company that gets caught with their pants down on this because, uh, you know, it's, I think it's another level that we haven't quite understood yet. No, I think that's a really fair assessment. And I mean, we were just talking just before we came on air that, um, you know, we were trying to surmise actually how many funds are there available to advisors in the UK? And, you know, we're talking several thousand. We couldn't put a figure on it. I mean, I, I remember back in the day, I mean, I, you know, we're talking I don't know, 10, to, 10 to 12 years ago, um, anywhere between. I remember people talking about 40 to 45,000 funds uh, that are available to advise in the UK. I'm not sure if it's that many. I don't know what the research tells me today or tells us today of how many funds there are available. But one thing's for absolute certain, if you've even got 10,000 funds available in the UK, how do you know? which ones of those are absolutely cast iron, ESG, reliable funds that you can advise your customer on? Or are we going to end up in a situation where people will rely on their old favourites and the things that they know about? And, and, you know, to be fair to them, they can absolutely rest assured that it's provable that these things are not greenwashed, as you've already said, Martin, that it's actually fair to say that these funds are safe to invest in for their for, the, for their customers and not based on performance but based on their green credentials um dave your thoughts on that one certainly you know it, it you know this this really does add to the mix when you talk about performance against um you know the safety of the fund when it comes to sustainability doesn't it yeah and i was talking i was talking to um i did a distribution for one of the fund managers the other day and he was saying the problem you have when you're a smallish fund house is and you know smallish fund house and the great scheme of things is billions of course because you know some of the others could buy you with the pocket money and he was saying some of the real big players have got uh have got you know an unlimited amount of data that that in he said it's going to be access to data that's going to make it's going to make a huge difference and i, I was thinking i was just listening to you both uh, 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 jim al-khalidly you know the uh live scientific on radio four he interviewed professor Anna Fry, who herself is, you know, a great broadcaster, but she, she also works with, uh, I think, is it DeepMind, the Google's data analytics company? And I think stuff like that's probably going to fall because what she, she gave a great analogy, and hopefully this is then used 
in ESG for benefit of us and our clients, which is, she said, when we, you saw your first drone fly over you, how did you feel? And she said, then if, if you walked down the road and you were surrounded by drones, you would feel really uncomfortable. She said, but that is data. So at the moment, wherever you do, wherever you do everything, you are surrounded by, you know, invisible data drones gathering all your data. So hopefully, you know, there are people out there, they're all big players who've got access to them. And let's hope they make it accessible to everybody so we can really see what, you know, what, what we're invested into. Because I imagine this could be another bone of contention with advisors. You, you recommend something to a client that you believe to be, let's say, ESG friendly or a, a solution to climate change. And then something pops up that it wasn't at all, which would be blinking awful. It is a real problem. And, and obviously coming up, we've got COP26, isn't it, that's coming up in Glasgow next month. We've got, um, you know, and obviously that will really point the public's attention towards this um, particular subject yet again, rightly so, uh, you know, because, you know, if you, you're funny enough, you know, in the news today, uh, gas problems, CO2 problems, consume, you know, energy company problems, and it's the energy companies that we look to for the green credentials in a lot of things that we do, you know, and, and yet the market is having big issues. Um, you know, climate change is obviously the, the, the one of the most, well, the most important thing on everybody's mind at the moment, I would say, uh, uh, other than, you know, obviously global pandemics, which, you know, we've got, it's been a bit of a year, obviously, already. Um, and going into next year, advisors are going to have to have a little bit more uh, knowledge on these things through the kids document, as we know, that's going to have to have more information on ESG going into next year as well. So, you know, there's a huge amount coming in advisors directions. How, you know, I mean, where do we start with advisors navigating their way through all this? You know, Martin, you, you obviously supervise so many people. Your advisors must be coming to you with questions at the moment as to, how, you know, what on earth do I do with this? for this? Uh, to be fair, John, at the moment, the, the providers in the main have been very good. Okay. So the product providers have been coming to us and saying that, you know, that, but this is once again, I know this is something that Dave's quite hot on and quite rightly so. You know, a provider is always going to come to you because they want you as an IFA to sell their product. You know, that's quite right. And you've always got to rely on the IFA having a, a wide enough panel that they work from. Or obviously, you know, we all know as an IFA, it should be an unlimited panel, shouldn't it? But, you, you know, you, you work within certain remits. Um, to make, but the providers have been very good at coming to us and saying, look, this is what we're doing, you, you know, and this is how we fit in. You know, this is how we recommend that, you know, you, you discuss our products with your clients. So there's been a lot of information there that, that, that's given. Um, I, still, I still go back to sort of one of the larger fund providers that obviously need to remain nameless for, for these particular sort of circumstances that we deal with, who... Um, who, you know, I was having a chat with them. Once again, I'm, I'm sure I've, I've discussed this on a previous pod. And mm. I brought it up again a couple of weeks ago and said, look, you know, you're a very large provider. I'm still kind of not sure where you sit with your offering in terms of, you know, ESG and what it looks like for you and whatever. And the conversation only got as far as um, that all their employees, when they're ordering a company car now, can only order an electric or a hybrid. <laughs> was, uh, and, and you know when so once again you know it, it, this person may have completely missed the point of my question I'm, I'm not sure yeah. but you you I was probing and probing and, and I'm pretty good at probing and uh you know it, it, it was sort of very much a 
uh, I don't I genuinely don't think that the development manager really understood where we were, you know, in turn. And but, you know, I, it's not something I can actually look at with, with the person and, and say that, that, you know, that they should understand because this is very complex. Yeah, obviously, they should understand because they're a development manager. You know, we've us, us three on this pod have all done a lot of research. We come into touch with this all day, you know, that sort of stuff. But it's a very, very complex situation. It's going to be okay for the advisors to understand it, but have they got the skill and the tools to be able to help the client understand it is the most important thing. And it is one of those things where it is very easy to broad brush over the subject of ESG and, you know, mix it in with ethical as well, because people are still confusing the two, you know, it's, it's still not got any clearer. So, um, you know, the kid documents, I always think uh, that they're just really a tool. You know, clients tend to listen to the words rather than read the documents afterwards. So it is still going to be down to the advisor to actually bring this ESG thing to life for the client and not rely on the document. Yeah. And, and, and actually, as you say, you know, that probing kind of questioning skill that advisors, you know, develop and, and use and, and they're very good at, you know, in the whole advisors are, are really good at questioning their clients and, you know, where they've developed their skills on things like new, you know, new skills and developing skills such as vulnerability, as an example, to move this into ESG and how they feel about the environment and what they want from an investment, et cetera, et cetera. I think is absolutely critical going forward, you know, certainly for me, to, you know, as, as a beginning point, it's understand the client before you then understand what the solution looks like in, in all cases to be able to develop that solution. You know, that's the starting point. But then for the advisor to do the research, it kind of turns into, a, okay, it's limited at the moment. How do I know what I've got to be able to produce from, from a client? Dave, what, what's going on in your world when it comes to sort of looking at that, the, the ultimate solutions for clients? Yeah, cur currently with due, due diligence, I mean, on, on our behalf, about a million pound a year is spent on due diligence and we get um, Morningstar and Square Mile face off and, you know, do, do a load of great stuff and Square Mile are doing work on the ESG. We're also using dynamic panels tools as well. And they're using MSCI and MSCI seem to be ahead of everybody in their analysis. And we're trying to do it that way. And I'm just listening to you both thinking, and Mike, you know, this is such a serious subject. If you forget that like ESG, great three letters, I mean, different things. Let's just think about climate change now. You know, so mm -hmm. it's, it, it's obviously very, very, very important. So if we want to solve that, can we depend on product providers doing CPD? informalist it's a bit like somebody standing up and saying you've got morning sickness let me educate you on how to give a tablet to all your patients that will sort morning sickness don't worry about it dr thalidomide you know not a problem cpd easy certificate lovely hotel that used to go on mm. that went on you know and my age i was you know, at your age but my age you know I, my mother had morning sickness she could have quite easily had that pill from a doctor who'd been educated on a cpd workshop uh that morning sickness was a problem there was a pill for you know and you think you think about that so i think we need to start moving to you know an education from bodies like the libf uh you know independent research bodies they're going to inform people on on the methodology on this and not on some product provider where you know the bdm it, their pay is directly linked to the assets they distribute Excellent. Yeah. And we have a Centre for Sustainability, interestingly, LRBF, which I'd encourage anybody to go and have a look at on our website. 
Um, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. There's more coming as well. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll preview it at some point in the very near future, but we're in talks at the moment. And uh, there's some certain inter uh, bit interventions that we're going to have for advisors in the, in the coming weeks and months, because it is becoming, you know, almost, well, I, I foresee that it will be the biggest um, uh, subject going into 2022, I suspect, you know, for advisors, you know, closing this year out with with the conference in Glasgow and then moving into next year, I think is going to be absolutely, absolutely vital. And then it's funny, really, Martin's just prompted something in a uh, thought in me as well. And and and, it, and again, I, I, Dave and I are full of these little analogies. So bear with me on this one. But uh, me being super, super geeky, I'm super excited about the new Matrix film that's coming out. So I don't know if you've seen the trailers and it looks absolutely fabulous i didn't care for the second and third film the first film was just you know brilliant we, for those of us that remember back to the late 90s um but the but there, there is a crazy scene in it in the trailer where um uh, good old keanu Reeves has got a, a yellow rubber duck on his head while he's lying in the bath which is just a crazy thing but interestingly it seems crazy but what it is it, it refers to um computer scientists and computer engineers who, when they've got a problem, what they do is they talk to an inanimate object to work through a problem. It sounds really daft, this, but bear with me. So the idea is that you have an inanimate object and you try and explain something to them. And if you don't understand it or you can't explain it fluently enough, then you really don't get the problem. Or actually, as you explain it, the solution starts to present itself to you. Is there some link to tortoise insurance? <laughs> get in there slowly. <laughs> <laughs> but I found it absolutely fascinating that actually this is a common thing. I'd never heard this before, that that's how people work through problems, not talking to other people, but for talking to things that don't talk back to you. And funny enough, you come to a solution. I've never done that. I've always talked to other people if I've got a problem, to be honest with you. But that's 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 the, how different people's minds work. I just find it absolutely fascinating. But as you talk about, um, I don't know about rubber duck, insurance but certainly tortoise insurance or or, or very plainly actually um pet insurance um you know we were talking about this just before we came on air and obviously it is something when you look at some of the problems that are in the protection market at the moment um when it comes to certainly critical illness uh, dave you quoted something to us and if you'd like to let everybody know what you thought your thoughts are on critical illness yeah we just i was talking to one of the large providers on something completely different and they just mentioned to me and what we've been talking about is office of national statistics have just published their five-year death rate and the five-year death rate is up 7.9 percent mm -hmm. which is horrible in it when yeah People behind that. So, so um, seven point nine percent. So, what they said is, but we got to remember is from our point of view as well. We've seen you know critical illness claims fall through the floor because people can't get access to the GPs to go and get referred to specialists, which is awful, mm. awful. What is going on there? It's yeah, just which is that's... which is that link again? We were talking about Marty's got all the great stats, but it it, it it's funny, isn't it? You know, we've got this massive explosion of pets. Um, and people are insuring pets. Brit, Brits are great at doing it. Yeah. Uh, but we don't we don't insure ourselves for health. Madness. It is it is absolutely scary, and especially when you look at um, the returns, if you like, when needed, 
um, for claims on pet insurance. And actually, after time, you know, it doesn't really pay back what you've paid out. The, 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 it is just crazy how much, you know, the pet insurance industry um, wins out of this. And obviously, pet owners don't feel that they can do without it because obviously the, the, the cost of private care for your pet is astronomical. But yeah, Martin, you've got some really interesting figures on this, which are, are we are finding absolutely fascinating and horrifying at the same time, I think. This is terrible because I sound like the dictionary lady on Countdown, don't I? <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> if only I was lucky enough to look like her. But, you know, so, but, it's a good job it's a podcast. Funny. That's why we do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Funny enough, Dave mentioned tortoise insurance there. I, my, my daughter, very quick story, my daughter's 17 and her, her friend went on holiday recently, her family, and they asked us to look after their tortoise. Well, you know, and this is an indoor tortoise. You know, I've got a tortoise myself, which which now lives with my mum, and my tortoise is forty seven years old, right? And it sort of wanders around the garden, like you know, and goes into his little wooden house at night and whatever. But this tortoise that we was looking after was like a pristine looking tortoise that looks like it's polished every week, you know, and and it's an indoor tortoise, and they they sort of walk round the. The, the sort of the glass case that the tortoise lives in with the little heat lamp and all, all this sort of stuff. And uh, uh, it was very lively, this tortoise. It was like banging on the glass. And, and they said, when it bangs on the glass, it means it wants to come out for a walk. So if you just let it out, it can get out of its own. So we put this cage on the floor, you know, and the tortoise come out and it was walking and whatever. And then uh, after about three days of having it, all of a sudden the tortoise stopped banging on the glass. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, it just wasn't doing anything. It was hardly eating. It was, I thought, oh God, what, what's happened? And then I realised that the light had stopped coming on in because in, it had two lights. It had like a UV light on the car, but the actual heat light had stopped coming on. So basically, we, we, we'd had the thing for three days and we put it into hibernation because it was cold. <laughs> 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 so so, so quickly so awesome. it. Oh, I quickly run out and got a heat lamp, but it all of a sudden it starts coming out again, you know. <laughs> but it's just a, anyway, look, the pets. I, I'm, I'm gonna say for, for all the animal lovers out there though, Martin, it's it's all a happy ending for the toy. Oh, it is, it's a very very happy ending. <laughs> I, I, I am the chief animal lover, I'll tell you that. You, you want to see how much money we spend on our cats, but uh, and we do insure them, funny enough. Yeah. So I, I am one of these figures. I was looking this up, 34 million pets in the UK at the moment, you know, and, and it splits them up. It says, you know, look, 12 million cats, 12 million dogs. And as we said, I always thought there would have been more cats than dogs. Yeah. But, you know, these, these are the figures uh, that we've got. So it said 17 million households are responsible for pet care in some, and that's whether you've got a budgie, a hamster, a gerbil, you know, a, mm. a, a nice aquarium, fish, you know, and that sort of thing. And the, But as we said, so what I haven't got is, the, the sort of the claim rates and the payout rates for the, for the pet insurance. But, you know, there was just one that, that we come across recently where, you know, uh, it really is a read the small print case because, our, you know, our cats had to have some work done, dental work, whatever, strangely enough, not covered. You know, it's a bit like uh, in, insuring your house and not being covered for your fence, isn't it? Because, mm -hmm. you know, they don't cover the things that you're going to need the most, do they? Because uh, saying that, though, your fence won't get blown down at the minute because we haven't got enough wind to power the turbines to, to back up what we're lacking in gas, will we? So, you know, it's, every, everything doesn't doesn't seem to work at the minute. But if you uh, if you sort of go back to what Dave was saying about critical illness claims and whatever, you know, the stats on that between April and July, 
there were 3.7 million less elective procedures this year compared to 2019. So 3.7 million, 3.79 million less, and 26 million fewer outpatient appointments. So, you know, it's no wonder that we're not getting critical illness diagnosis. And, you know, so, yeah, what happens on that? Just out of interest, let's imagine you've just got a critical illness plan that doesn't have life cover on it. You've just got a critical illness plan and you couldn't get that critical illness plan. You know, it wouldn't pay out because you couldn't be diagnosed because you couldn't get your doctor's appointment mm. and you die before diagnosis. Mm. Who's won? It's a, it's, it's a shocking situation. It, it absolutely does, shocking. Absolutely shocking. I mean, it does. It does. I mean, you know, for those that can afford it and this is, you know, and I, I, I you know, I have private medical insurance myself, you know, uh, and, and I'm sure many of you, you do and many people listening do as well. But obviously there's an, you know, this, this does have the uh, unfortunate byproduct of those that can afford it, do it. And those that can't afford it, you know, which is a shame, really, you know, because obviously we, we make life insurance and critical illness insurance as an industry as cheap as possible. Um, but it does make the case for private medical insurance, I think, in a lot of respects, in, as far as diagnosis is concerned. I was lucky enough last year um or unlucky enough i should say i mean i needed to um visit a doctor my doctor was our first question was i do you have private medical insurance because if you do because of the stress on the nhs it would be handy if we could use it and i'll write you a referral letter straight away which is amazing and that just goes to show first of all the wherewithal of my doctor straight away very quickly realized you know we, we're struggling therefore i'll refer you because it's far far easier and it takes the pressure off um, and then secondly, I'm out of the system from the NHS point of view, but of course the private medical companies take over, which is, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's an insurance company that then provides you with cover to get you into your, uh, in, into a private medical, um, facility and luckily, you know, all good, nothing seriously wrong or anything, but worth, worth the visit and worth going through the treatment at the time. Um, it, it does make the case, but certainly the shocking statistic is the diagnosis. I think this is a really, really um, worrying trend. And obviously now with a backlog in the NHS, um, people not visiting the doctor or not being able to see, and still not being able to see the doctor, diagnosis are down and therefore critical illness claims are right through the floor. Absolutely crazy. And yet here we are with an explosion of pets, explosion of pet insurance that doesn't necessarily do the job either. So, you know, it, it, it's an interesting analogy really, as far as, you know, the UK being the pet lovers that we are, um, you know, and obviously we'll spend an awful lot of money. I must admit, same as you, Martin and, and, and Dave, I know you're a great dog lover. And has the new one arrived yet, by the way? I forgot to ask. You've got a puppy coming, haven't you? The 30th. Yeah, she arrives then. We've got everything but the dog now. Excellent. So, um, you know, it's it, it, there's been explosion in dog ownership. Obviously, people walking their pet, walking their dogs, obviously, obviously, you know, through through lockdown and what have you. Now, obviously, return to work they've got their own challenges we've got cats here uh one of them is blind arthritis um all sorts of little difficulties that he's got but you know interestingly the pet insurance covers most of his treatments but not all of them same as you martin same problems um but of course we're scared to cancel the pet insurance because if he if one of them needs because we've got two cats if one of them needs an operation on top that can be astronomical in cost but actually if we cancel that pet insurance and just paid for his treatment we'd be better off it's crazy, really, when you think about it. So, you know, strange set of circumstances, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is 
scary. So what do you advise your customer at the end of the day? You know, you still want them to take their life and critical illness out. It'd be crazy not to, wouldn't it? Yeah, I just I think I think what I think is is what one thing you know is a, an old true fact is life insurance or let's call insurance assurance is sold and not bought. Mm. You know that that's that's a definite thing, and I think this is where you know people with the protection qualifications can really make a difference now. And I know we all used to draw those pictures of houses and say, when you buy a house, what's or build a house, what's the first thing you put in? And there was always some clever clogs in the room and go that the services. Yeah, but after the services, oh, it's the foundations. The foundations are life assurance. Then you build the walls and all that. But do you remember that chart? There was a great chart uh, I remember a former company having, which was about likelihood versus impact. And if you work, if you look at before retirement, of course, the good news is the likelihood of any of us dying before retirement retirement is actually pretty low. Mm. But the like, but the impact, of course, is very, very high. Mm. Whereas, you know, you could say the thing is with private medical, the likelihood of you getting something wrong with you where you need private medical is probably pretty high. Mm. And actually, I'd say the impact, depending on what it is, is pretty high as well. And like you say, John, is, is, you know, particularly now, I know with our company healthcare, um, you've got an app on your phone now. And what literally, it's, it's a skip the queue, isn't it? You just go on, you speak to a doctor, say, I think I've got a problem, need to see a specialist. Which specialist do you need to see? I've done some Googling, this one looks the best. No problem, depending on your policy, no problem, we'll refer you. That's mm-hmm. it, done, job done. Yeah. What? And you think for those people who can't afford it or haven't been offered it, the alternative is, is frankly frightening at the moment. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely scary, you know, and obviously, you know, those that are waiting for surgery and, I've, you know, I've really, you know, especially those that are waiting for, you know, hip replacements, knee replacements, all these sorts of things, you know, and, and the backlog that sits in the NHS, um, you know, too late to then retrospectively take out um, health insurance. But, you know, certainly is definitely something within the remit of the financial advisor to be able to start looking at that for their customers without question. You know, you can still advise it. Why not? just get you know that there, there is a there is scope to be doing those sorts of things um you know and really good solid advice for for customers to consider if they can afford to do it you know without without absolute question martin your experience on that sort of thing you know from the advisor point of view still far too many cases where um people have dependent children things of that kind and life cover isn't enough of a discussion mm. you know it's a uh, so, uh, you know, what, what we've decided to do as a business, in, in fact, to be fair, we, we're, we're sort of quite on the front foot with protection, if, if I'm brutally honest. But what we've decided to do as a business is go back to good old fashioned uh, client contact. So, you know, every, I'll, I'll just randomly pick some people that are under 50, 55 years old and just give them a ring. Just mm-hmm. say, uh, you know, talk, talk me through your conversation that you had, you know, with the advisor. I noticed that you, you know, you said that you'd had it sorted out somewhere else. What does that look like? You, you know, what have you, and uh, you, you know, just just have a proper conversation. But as I said, you know, to be fair, our, our, our sort of consultants are, are, are pretty sharp on this. But it's things like um, uh, when we're looking at it's income protection is the one that people seem to miss uh, mm. more than anything. Income protection, definitely, you know, private medical insurance needs to be talked about far more often than it is. It is now coming to the fore. We're now starting to find that more clients are starting to ask about, you know, 
you advise on private medical insurance. And that's been a bit of a grey area for financial advisors, hasn't it, for yeah. quite a few years, yeah. you know, as to whether you advise, you know, is it regulated, isn't it? You know, who actually oversees it? What's the umbrella company? You know, all, all that sort of stuff. So the industry, or sorry, the profession, I don't use the word industry anymore, Dave, I've learned. So the, pro the profession as a whole, um, I think, needs to take on the private medical insurance thing. Mm. Um, and, you know, once again, though, we, we need to, uh, the providers, the, the private, because I've, I've only recently took out private medical insurance about a year ago, um, you know, because I've always had it through companies before. Mm. And then sort of, you know, three years of being self-employed and all of a sudden you think I'm getting older. And, uh, you know, the NHS isn't looking great. So I'm pretty good at this. And I would say that, that the providers need to get much better at asking the sorts of questions that, that they need answered before they go straight into this is the one that's right for you. You know, they are very much we've got a red, a green or a blue one, you know, and, and you're rather than finding out, you know, exactly what's the right one for you. So once again, another area where there's a lot of work to be done in space. But yeah, you know. So on the on the technology front, Martin, we've started using um, a bit of an advert for them, but the four C platform, no financial interest in them. But they they that is um, that's I've got to say it's fab. It's got almost all the private medical insurance providers on there. And what you do, you do a share screen with your client. You just take them through the options. So do you want to be able to choose your own consultant? Have you got pre-existing conditions? You know, do you want bells and whistles? All those sorts of things. Mm. Uh, and and you, you literally just go through a tick list. And then what it then does, it then shortlists the providers that are the most suitable for that, that list of uh, conditions. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant system. Mm. And I think, you know, I think that's probably the, you know, whoever, you know, contemplated using private medical insurance providers or, or putting a system in place. You know, talk to people who already have it or have those systems in place. Talk to other firms, you know, advisor firms, you know, really should partner. And networks, are, 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 are all networks really are open to those discussions. I think, like you say, Martin's absolutely spot on. Grey area, really grey area for a lot of advisors. And actually, you know, when I started an intrinsic late sort of 2000s, if you like, um, and training at intrinsic for induction uh, personnel, um, Intrinsic had at that time uh, a full sort of private medical insurance panel, if you like, which advisors were allowed in. And we were talking advisors through it. And of course, I would say, you know, 99% of advisors that used to come through our doors had never, ever recommended private medical insurance and didn't know that they could, uh, which was shocking, you know. And, but, you know, those that embraced it, A, did really well out of it, and B, you know, their customers. Have obviously benefited from it over the over time you know and and you know take you know, we talk about shocking statistics and talk about you know certainly in protection when i started in the i mean you know critical illness used to be a whole life policy for those going back in time for those that will remember it um so 30 uh, 25 to 30 years ago the only way you could get critical illness was through a uh, non-qualifying whole of life policy those remember those those policies and then they got latched onto term assurance um, became more and more affordable. Um, but I, you know, even back then I had um, a client who took out one of these whole life policies. Um, she just bought a house. The only way she could get critical illness was uh, having this two years later diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And, uh, uh, you know, and that is, you know, that, that that's the story I tell a lot of people. It's really an interesting, you know, fact is financially she's secure, which, you know, was absolutely tremendous. Um, but then on top of that, when I started in the industry, it was always one in three people will get cancer. 
And now that statistic is one in two people will get cancer. And I dare say it's not because cancer suddenly become more catchable or, you know, you know, easily, you know, to get. It's because diagnosis is so much better. And now, unfortunately, diagnosis isn't there. But that doesn't mean to say the rate of cancer has suddenly got better. It's because it's just simply not been able to get to the doctor. Does that make sense? You know, and I, and I think that that, for me, is the shocking bit. One in two are going to get cancer. You're paying a lottery if you don't get to the doctor and get a, a diagnosis. And that's the really, really worrying, shocking thing for me. I think, I think the critical illness thing is just something that if you, you know, you don't even have to search hard for it. We all know somebody that's been affected with it in some way, shape or form. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's one that my wife and I often fall out about. Right, it is a, a critical issue, and she never minds me telling the story, but it's completely true. I was the financial advisor in the house, okay. Always, you know, I've, I've been in financial services for as many years as you, John, mm. um, as an advisor and as a manager and whatever. And uh, but I could never ever convince my wife that critical illness insurance was important for her as well as it was for me mm. because at the time she wasn't working, kids, whatever, and all that, and uh. And exactly the same thing happened. My wife was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis um, about 12 years ago now, uh, I think that would be. And we, we joke about it now. You know, thankfully, she's very well on multiple sclerosis, as they call it. But we joke about it now and say, look, if we'd have had that insurance, I wouldn't be working now. <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd, have had, we'd have had the mortgage paid off and things would have been completely different. You yeah. know, and, and we joke, but thankfully you know we're a family that's managed to stay in work and whatever mm. and work things through there'll be a lot of people that haven't got our story at the end of it mm. you know where you know they, they didn't have the insurance and it, it was you know the, the person couldn't work benefits that you get for something like multiple sclerosis i'll tell you aren't fantastic mm. you know so you do you just look at it and think please you know have a good think about how you're advising your clients with something like critical illness insurance it's invaluable and as dave quite rightly says no one wants insurance but they always want what it's going to give them when they need it yeah no yeah. absolutely just on that martin you've just really got me thinking again on that one i was just thinking about um you know when we're going back to the beginning on esg when we talk about doing due diligence and i think one, one thing we probably need to do with advisors is just slow down a little bit you know because you think about the what provisions do we really find out take the time to do the due diligence on what people are offered by the companies mm. you know and for, you know because once again you know it's a bit like you know you phone up somebody 55 or did you discuss all the things you you were you know you could have done and and people say oh would you like me to review what you've got with your company no no, no it's all fine it's great i've got this that the other you you're probably a they are probably 100 percent wrong and you'd probably be 100 percent wrong in your assumption so to find out what they've got and then fill the gaps i think is definitely the way to go yeah i've got to say i mean I, I, and those that have ever sort of um experienced a training session with me or certainly protection uh, or life insurance or critical illness training session with me in the past will know one of my one of my famous sort of kind of stories really and it's more of it's more of a sort of observation of the industry more than anything else is that um people go for the minimum so they'll they'll insure the the mortgage uh, as an example now this, that in itself is not a bad thing because it's better than nothing at all uh, and you know you, you can't argue with the fact that somebody will put some critical illness in place but what tends to happen is somebody gets diagnosed with a critical illness and they'll be going through treatment but the first opportunity they can get to take the family on holiday and go and experience something nice with the family they'll take it and they'll do that rather than paying a debt off 
So why don't you insure them for a bit more than just the debt? Because you'll be surprised actually to live debt free, but also to have precious moments with your family. And this is what we talk about all the time, isn't it? Is what's important to you and your family, not okay, you know, bricks and mortar and no debt free is, is a very, very good thing. But actually, it doesn't buy your memories and it doesn't buy, you know, that's the sort of stuff that you, you, you really, a lot of people will value. Um, and so think about the, you know, what it is your customers want from that insurance. And actually, nobody, as Dave quite rightly pointed out already, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know something, I need some life insurance today. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever gets up in the morning and says, I need critical illness today. They've, they've got it on their mind all the time. It's ticking along in the background, but it never comes to the fore unless you have a conversation because it needs to be sold to them and that's the, the unfortunate um we we have that culture but i suspect if we look at the environment we've been through in the last 18 months unfortunately um and you look at that as, as you say seven percent increase in the death rate it may have turned a few people's heads to think about this in a little bit more detail the conversation should actually be easier with the advisor not not more difficult in my opinion but you know that's you know, it's there to be had. It's there to be discussed with clients and not for a, a you know, a profit making situation, because actually uh, I don't think people operate on that sort of level anymore. People operate on need. People operate on outcomes. People operate on what's important to them as a family. And that's where we come in as an industry. I, in, I said industry. Damn, I spoiled that little speech there. I should have said profession. Oh, no. What a disaster. Oh, gosh. Anyways, but. I think that's the, you know, I think that's really a nice way to sort of come to a close, really, isn't it? You know, guys, what, you know, it's that it, it's all about what's important to the family, what, you know, and, and that that goes for ESG as much as it goes for protection, doesn't it? You know, if you look at ESG, it's thinking about your family's future when it comes to the environment, to making life sustainable. Things at the moment look a little bit out of control. Uh, Dave, can you ask your wife to bring us all a cup of tea in future, by no, the way? No, no. She sort of snuck her hand around the door there. And <laughs> She's very brave. She's just had her nails done as well. So just to hold this was a very, very risky, risky thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I think that's the, this, this the key to this sort of podcast, really. It's, it, it, this, is, um, this is the family edition of the Financial Advisor podcast when it comes to actually thinking about your family when it comes to... Um, you know, what their thoughts on the environment and the future of the planet and the future of sustainability. And at the same time, thinking more between the four walls of the family home, what's important to them as a family when it comes to if something goes wrong. Um, so, yeah, closing thoughts on that, gentlemen. I think it's, uh, I, I think you've summed it up brilliantly there, John. I was, I was writing down, I, I think it's one of those take stock moments in life, isn't it? Where, you, you know, that. There's times in your life where you think, God, everything's going to change. And it's, you know, one of them was obviously if you was alive through 9-11, you know, that, that was that was one of those things where you think, oh, it's never going to feel the same again. And then gradually the world becomes the new normal again. And then now we've had the COVID, it's like, right, now, you know, after a while it might become, like, we'll probably end up all just having to live with it, like we have, you know, with, with other illnesses, through vaccination and whatever, but it will be good. But for me, it's a take stock moment. There's so many things that are involved in this. You know, we, we talked about sort of, you know, the, the, the things like life cover and whatever and that sort of thing. We, we haven't had time to sort of investigate. Yet this is a moment for wills and powers of attorney as well. You know, it, it really is. All, all the things that you think, I've not really got round to that. 
but these recent events have made you think, do you know, I know I, I know I should do that, but I just haven't done it yet. You know, so really, you know, for the amount of time it takes and people say, well, you should you should spend five hours a year, don't they? Looking at your finances. And if you can spend five hours a year, you'll probably save yourself 25 percent of what you're paying out. You know, and whether that be rebroking your life cover, you know, all, all these things take take a stock uh, of the situation you're in. You know, be grateful for where you are, whatever it is. And, uh, and, and just make sure you've got everything buttoned down. Absolutely perfect. Really well summed up, Martin. Dave, final thoughts on that? Yeah, I was just trying to uh, busily find the source and very poor planning by me. But I think what one thing at the moment is, is this 21 times number, which is a few knocking around. And what the 21 times is, if you invest your pension in assets that are trying to solve climate change, it's 21 times more effective and trying to do all the small changes in your personal life. Because that's the problem for people, I think, at the moment. If you think about what we were talking about before this, and I think this is the thing closing for people is your, your clients are going to be hit with all sorts of noise at the moment. Um, you know, for example, the Trenton Mersey Canal's running out of water, the reservoirs are low. Like Martin said, there's no wind, energy prices are going sky high. We thought it was a great idea to get our natural gas from Russia, you know, all those sorts of things. And then Brexit, pandemic, you go on forever, couldn't you really? And, and you could get you get down about it. But if you if you just think, well, although if we take some positive action and, and invest our pen, clients' pensions in, in funds that we can trust as well as we can through due diligence to try and sort out this climate change problem and then switch off the news, I think that's that's a brilliant thing for clients. Because mm. there's there's three there's three things they can get out of that, I think. One is they're doing something good for the planet and trying to be part of the solution. The second thing is um, they don't have to think about it anymore. And the third thing is they'll probably get returns as good or if not better than similar funds that aren't trying to solve the problem because of the global flow of capital. I think that's that one. And on the protection front, yeah, well, just we did a thing earlier, you know, so we did an experiment on the, sorry, the, the scaffold is right side of my window, but you go, perfect timing. But if you, if you say if you say to clients, would you like a review of your protection? They will say, no, you're all right, thanks. We've done this. Yeah, if, if you say, would you like a refresh of your protection? So I'll just have a look at it and just 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 tell you where it is. That, that's all it is, tell you what you've got. And people go, love a refresh. Absolutely love a refresh. And I, I think if we could refresh more people's situations, we could do a hell of a lot of good. That's a really top tip, actually, Dave, because, as you, you know, half of it is – they're not in the profession. They don't understand what they've got in a lot of cases, um, you know, and whether it's what they've got at work and what they've got at home and the stuff they took out 30, you know, 13 years ago when they when they moved house or, you know, all these sorts of things that go on in people's minds and, you know, they're catching up with stuff. And it also, it, it's never what they thought it was, you know, in a lot of circumstances. I mean, how many people have said that? Um, you know, I, I wasn't sure. I thought they did better than that. Or I thought, you know, I didn't think I had that in the first place. You know, nobody's really absolutely 100% sure. A refresh is a, is a great idea. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, yes, it all seems a bit gloomy at the moment, but actually there is an awful lot of things to feel positive about, you know, and actually, you know, we are at that point. It, it, all I said, my barometer on on all things ESG is 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 David Attenborough, and if he thinks that there is a turning point and we can do something about it, then he's right, as far as I'm concerned, because the guy is a genius. Um, and if you know if he thinks it can be done, 
then we should get behind it. But I, I did see something recently where customers were questioned about actually um, if you're if you knew your pension was in arms or if it was in tobacco or if it was in oil, would you be happy about that? And most of those customers would say, no, I'm not happy about that. But they don't know. Do you know whether it is or not? They just don't know. And that's I think, as you say, you know, both with the ESG thing and with their protection it's that refresh of look let's take and I, I think your your phrase is perfect martin let's take stock this is absolutely right and then obviously getting into early part of next year it's then that right okay i need to get on top of my finances sort of situation isn't it really you know as people do in january you know as much as we'd like to get them to do it before christmas or whenever it's always january is the turning point isn't it for a lot of people but um no spot on guys i think it's been great fun today thank you so much i mean a very difficult subjects to talk about in a lot of respects but you know well worth a good discussion and hopefully our uh, our listeners will take something away from that i really do thank you both so martin uh, enjoy your afternoon for or well, actually i was going to say the rest of your career in your shed i think that's pretty much where you've been <laughs> you have been sent to the shed haven't you this is this is where you're going to spend the rest of your 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 productive career yeah, yeah. The, the next 20 years that I've still got in work will be in my shed. <laughs> I'm only young, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 get some, I'll get some pots. It'll be a little potting shed before you know it. <laughs> you'll be doing Gardener's World from your shed as much as you'll be doing podcasts for financial advice. So that's great. I'm, I'm sure we'll all look forward to seeing that. Um, and, and Dave, yes, puppy at the end of the month. We're, we're very much looking forward to hearing a bit more about that on the next pod. I'll, I'll, I'll show it to the listeners. Perfect. What what breed is she? Wire-haired Hungarian Wiesler. Look, looks like a like a ginger rag duster. In. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So she she'll be all right. And and uh, on the next pod, we'll find out all about Martin's casting couch that's behind him. I've been biting my lip about all this time. Do you know, I didn't know you could see it, but uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've even got a couch in my shed. There you go. <laughs> that's just for when you need a. Um, you need to have a long, hard think about something. Is that right? With your eyes shut? <laughs> it actually folds out into a bed, believe it or not. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, I see. So it's a doghouse as well then. Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is John Somerville, uh, Martin Clark and David Owen signing off for the latest pod. Look forward to seeing you all with Nicola Barker on the next edition of the Financial Advisor podcast. Take care and have a great day.